0: Associated, the podcast making venture capital more accessible. I'm Lois and today I'm co-hosting with Petra. Hi Petra, how's your day been? Hi Lois, it's been good. It's been, you know, it's been a Monday. But it's
1: been fine. I'm kind of already missing the weekend to be honest, but can't complain.
0: I know, what are about- you in London at the moment?
1: I am, I am in London and um, we've been having this like heat wave as I'm sure that you're aware. And then the last few days it poured and my friends thought it would be a great idea to do a cycle tour around London in the pouring rain. So
0: we did that. Is that what you did this weekend?
1: Yeah. And that, so that was basically my weekend was cycling around freezing cold, (laughs) but at least it's not so hot anymore.
0: Mm. Oh my God. How humid was it last week?
1: So gross. So gross. But the opposite of gross, which is wonderful. Um, and speaking of wonderful, <laughs> as a great <laughs> segue into,
0: into our guest. <laughs> Lois, who do we have on today? We have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Yvonne Bagella, who is at Impact X Capital at the moment. Hello, Yvonne. Hi, thank you for having me.
2: How are you? I'm very good. I'm pleased that the weather is lovely today. Um, no, and I'm really pleased to join this conversation. Oh, excellent. You've got a funny definition of lovely. Are you in London <laughs> thunderstorming? <It's> <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, where I am, it's actually been a really nice day in London. Oh my God. Yeah, so the, over the weekend, it was heavy showers, um, but today's surprisingly nice. So I'm making the most of it. We just don't know about the British weather, do we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, you really don't. Um, Cool. Well, we're really pleased to have you joining us. I think it'd be good if we could do, I guess, a bit of an intro. Tell us a little bit about what you do at the moment and how you got to it, um, particularly how you got kind of into the VC space. Yeah, sure. So I'm a startup investor at ImpactX.
2: Um, So ImpactX is a UK-based venture capital fund, and we essentially invest in early stage companies, particularly at the seed and series A stages. We focus on underrepresented entrepreneurs and, you know, to date we've done about 17 investments and we're, we actively continue to invest across the UK and Europe. Um, in terms of how I entered the, the world of VC, so I was actually very fortunate to start my career working in an investment bank. And that's the initial path that I decided to take as, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I left university and I saw it that it would be a good fit because I was very good at maths, had an interest in markets. I was following companies as well. And during my time working in investment banking, you obviously hear a lot about transactions taking place. And I came to realize that, you know, a lot of the successful companies that we know of today, such as Facebook, Amazon and Microsoft, all have one thing in common in that in their very early stages, raise venture capital funding. So that's how I came to really learn about the world of startups and, you know, how companies really grow and scale into billion dollar businesses. And that's what really sparked my initial interest. However, it wasn't actually until I spent a summer in Ghana and I was doing um, pro bono advisory work for a number of startups, I'd say that's where I really caught my entrepreneurship bug in that, you know, a number of um, companies were receiving interest from U.S.-based venture catalysts and, and Jumia, which listed last year, Um they were, you know, going through the process of receiving funding from, from venture capitalists as well. And so that really sparked my interest. And I knew from there onwards I wanted to pursue a career in venture capital. So I actually um, went into strategy consulting as I wanted to get closer exposure to working with companies. So I did that for a short period of time where I was advising, you know, large corporates on how to acquire stakes or quite fully acquire technology companies. And then I was given the opportunity to join Mitsui, which is a Japanese investment company. And I joined their corporate VC arm. So that was my first step into the world of VC.
1: And going back to your um, experience at Goldman, were you working in like a specific team? Were you, were you working, for, for example, with like the, the TMT department, like that gave you that exposure? Or did you really feel that it came from when you went to Ghana?
2: I would say it was a bit of both. So I was very fortunate that, you know, working within the TMT team, I had exposure to these deals. Um, And so, as I mentioned, that's where my initial interest sparked. But it wasn't until I actually worked more closely with um, startups in Ghana that I really realized, you know, exactly what working with early stage companies entails. And that's where I really, really realized that, you know, this is an industry that I want to break into.
0: And you've been doing advisory work on kind of both sides of the table then in Ghana with the startups and then later on in strategy consulting for large corporates. How did you find that experience and what can you tell us about how I guess those roles differed?
2: Yeah, so I would say that it's 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 very interesting having sat on both sides of the table. I mean, working within an investment bank, obviously you don't get much exposure to companies at all. You're very much buried in spreadsheets and, and presentations. However, having worked within strategy consulting, I was interacting with CEOs and, and C Suite staff members on a daily basis, advising them on what to do. And that's probably where I would say I I really developed a number of very useful skills um, in terms of, you know, how to communicate with stakeholders at all various levels, how to negotiate and so on. Um, So I found that experience very, very valuable. However, you know, on the other end of things, working with early stage companies in Ghana, when I spent my summer there, that was a very interesting experience simply because it was very scrappy. So you're working with companies that are still figuring things out, you're along with them on that journey. And that's, that's what really excited me. And that's where I realized, you know, venture capital is for me, because I, I do want to work at the early stage of the spectrum.
0: Mm. So you've been working at the investment bank, you've got an initial interest in startups, and then you decide to go and spend your summer in Ghana. But I was just thinking like, I can sort of see where that thought process might take you, but I'm particularly interested in What skills did you have from the world of investment banking or or from um, elsewhere in your life that you were kind of taking with you to Ghana to offer to these companies?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think one of the the skills that you certainly develop um, working in investment bank is the training is so rigorous. So when it came to preparing presentations and, and really, you know, getting your message across, preparing financial models and so on which are, you know, things that companies do require, thinking through your financials, what do you think your, your business model is going to be? These are skills that I developed in investment banking. And so I think from that perspective, having that experience of working with companies, thinking through business plans and presenting it was something that I wanted to tra- transfer to early stage companies in Ghana, and also help them think on a on a global, or even if not global, then a Pan African basis, um, and that's what I took to to Ghana.
1: Had you spent a lot of time in Ghana before you went and worked there for the summer?
2: Yeah, so of my family actually live in Ghana, so I was very fortunate that before I even got to Ghana. I had, um, you know, companies lined up to potentially have meetings with, which was very helpful. And during my childhood, we actually went to Ghana at least once a year. So I was very familiar with the, the country um, and Accra, the city in particular. And so navigating my way through that market was was relatively straightforward.
1: Okay, great. And... You know, you you obviously then you know came back to the UK, and I, I guess what I'm yeah what I'm curious about is w- one sort of why did you come back or why did you decide okay I'm I'm not going to spend more you know than the summer here. What was it about like the ecosystem here that really drew you? Because you know, arguably the ecosystem in 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 Ghana and many other African countries within the tech space is super interesting, super exciting as well. Um, especially in like fintech and energy so what drew you back to London?
2: Yeah no I totally agree for me going to Ghana was you know something that I was always going to do I just thought instead of just spending my summer there you know going on beaches and spending time with family why not use it to get more exposure to what I've, I've found this initial interest in working with earlier stage companies um, and so the opportunity was there and I, I took it up I always knew that I would be coming back to London, um, but I was very fortunate, you know, later on down the line when I took up my position at Mitsui, I actually spent a lot of time investing and living in um, various African markets and countries. So spent some time living in Kenya, spent some time in Ghana and Nigeria. um, And that was an incredible experience.
1: That's really cool. It's really cool to be able to like use like that one you know summer experience and expand it and apply it to like your you know your next
0: um job awesome yeah and it was a great experience and so you've done the summer in Ghana you've you've gone and worked at a strategy consultancy and then you're at Mitsui and as you just said you were working um a lot in Africa then as well before you before you kind of came back to London and did the, the VC proper work. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you think it's like entering VC um, in a corporate VC setting?
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. And Lois, I know that you work in a corporate VC as well, so you'll probably share some of my sentiments. But generally, I would say that, you know, every decision we made um, would have to ensure that it's within strategic alignment with the overall business. And that would mean getting stakeholder approval internally and really working on those stakeholder relationships If there was a deal that I wanted to do, I would have to make sure that I've got the buy-in internally and that could take a lot of time as well. And so oftentimes deals would take six months to complete, which is quite a long time in the world of VC deals move very quickly. I would say another difference is, you know, the great level of um, strategic alignment in the sense where when it came to business development opportunities, I think that's where the companies really did benefit because we would make an investment in the company and then we would have other investee companies or even within Mitsui, teams that could use the product or service, which really helped from business development perspective. Um, and one of the things that I really, really loved about working at Mitsui was, was the whole, you know, being an Asian company, a lot of companies tend to think of the US as their next market. However, given that we were an Asian organization, we had a lot of strong ties to the Asian market, of strong networks and so on. So a lot of what we did was help companies actually launch within the Asian market. And that's something that a lot of I guess VCs here in the UK don't have exposure to.
0: Yeah I think that's probably true and throughout your career journey you've you have kind of gone to countries and you've traveled around a lot in places that are slightly less typical for the VC space um, so I'm, I guess I'm thinking like San Francisco, New York, Berlin, places like that seem to be pretty common but you've definitely um, broken the mold of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, having having worked in, in Tokyo, for example, the way in which you do VC there is is quite different. I would say that it's more of a conservative market. You know, Tel Aviv is incredible in that, you know, companies that start there really do think global. They You know, Israel is a, is a relatively small country. And so a lot of the companies from day one are thinking about how they can grow and scale beyond their borders. Um, so that's been really interesting, you know, seeing the way in which different markets operate.
1: And and one more question when you were at Mitsui, because we're looking at this at Mantrae as well and kind of building our relationships with um, corporate venture capital. Um, so I have a, a, a specific and more sort of selfish interest in this, mm-hmm. um, is when you know, you're know you making um, your investments and you're thinking through about companies that you want to pursue, do you think of the, the startups in the context of the Mitsui Corporation or like how can this company specifically benefit Mitsui or or the other assets under the umbrella or or not?
2: Yeah, so I would say about 90% of the investments we made were strategic. So it would be about, you know, how can this company add value to our existing portfolio companies or how could it add value to the overall company as a whole? Um, However, there was an allocation to companies where we just made financial investments and TransferWise was one of them where there wasn't really a strategic rationale. We thought that, you know, we could come in and help the company scale into the Asian market. But beyond that, there wasn't any strategic reason.
1: Mm. And, and in terms of being outside of corporate VC and having been in corporate VC, what do you think are some of like the big differences between those two worlds, if there are any um, in your view?
2: Yeah, I would say it's the decision-making process. I guess you know, working in a more traditional VC at the moment, whenever I make an investment decision, it's it's really about the the opportunity set that the company provides and the potential financial return. However, within the world of corporate VC, um, you know, as I've mentioned, it is a strategic decision as well as it is a financial decision. But I would say that it's actually more of a strategic decision. Um, so that would be one of the key differences, and. At Mitsui, we were obviously quite hands on. Not all corporate VCs do operate like that, but we would often, you know, go and spend time with our portfolio companies. There were times where I would go and work with a portfolio company for six weeks or even, you know, three months at a time. And that's the key difference where we had the resources internally to actually, you know, be really hands on with the companies that we had invested in.
0: Um, I was just going to say, I feel like it would be a good time to go to our question time question because um, we spent so long talking about your previous experience and that thing that you just said about when you were at Mitsui going working with portfolio companies for kind of six weeks at a time, I, I think feeds into a question that we've had from one of our listeners that we're going to ask you about. So uh, thank you for the questions that everyone sent in. Um, question that I think is really appropriate for you. and I think you'll have a great answer to is that you often hear from people in VC that in order to enter the industry and make it to partner level, you need some kind of outside experience, whether that's in a startup, a strategy consultancy or a bank, for example. Could you provide some insight into the drivers behind that observation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say that in terms of the best venture capitalists I work with, they have some insight into what it's like working directly in a startup. Um, and that definitely helps. I think it helps you emphasize the companies. It gives you, you know, some exposure in terms of the type of work that they do. And so, where where I was at Mitsui, I was very fortunate to actually spend some time working at some of our portfolio companies, and that just gave me exposure to some of the challenges they face. And I developed expertise in, in particular areas such as, you know, sales and so on. And that's that's been really helpful. So I think it's just more on the operational side, because as VCs, yes, we do provide money, but you'd want to provide more than money. So if you can, you know, provide value beyond money, whether it be help with sales pipeline, whether it be on the product side of things, or, you know, whether you're bringing your network, I think that that just helps. But I don't think it's an absolute must. So I, I do know people that have worked within BC without having the, the prior experience in investment banking or so on. There's no real set prerequisite in terms of what you should be doing or ex- the experience you have. I mean, I know people that have broken into the industry being doctors or, you know, coming from marketing backgrounds.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, there's definitely no hard and fast rule, is there? But I think, you know, we do see a lot about Uh, the VC career path not necessarily being particularly linear and Mm -hmm. I I do think that a lot of uh, the skills that people value in VC can be honed in kind of other spaces I think that's what's so cool about your journey is that um, although there are elements of the story that are kind of maybe a bit more traditional like investment bank strategic consulting um, that kind of thing the way that you've done it, I think, is actually pretty unique. And I think um, I love the idea of being able to work with portfolio companies for, you know, weeks at a time. I think that really immerses you in their uh, their journey in a way that you, you probably don't get access to when you're at a fund that's a bit smaller, probably, and you maybe don't have the resources to do that.
1: Yeah, and no, I totally agree. Yvonne, should we move to Impact X Because um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that or... Yeah, um, sure. actually let you talk more <laughs> about it and explain, one, what, um, what the fund is and what you're doing and what you're specializing and focusing on.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. sure. So I guess, you know, starting back from the macro perspective, why does impact sex exist? So if you look at the last three decades, You know, the world of VC has accelerated really well. Over the last decade alone, over $1.5 has been invested in venture capital deals. And most of that has come in in the most recent years. But if you look at the data, the majority of those that have received venture capital funding are white males. And the venture capital industry has made little progress in tracking the diversity problem. So, you know, earlier this year, Atomco released a report that highlighted... Black founders, for example, only received 0.5% of venture capital funding in 2019. So there's some clear systemic views within the current venture capital ecosystem as it exists today. And so that's exactly why ImpactX exists, to invest in underrepresented entrepreneurs. And when we say underrepresented, it's essentially entrepreneurs are not typically represented in your typical VC portfolio. And I think that, that, you know, for me, the reason why I wanted to join ImpactX is because to think about venture capital, it can be a major force for change. You know, some of the largest companies that we know of today, such as Google, Facebook and Amazon, were funded by venture capitalists. And if we really want to create a world where products and services fully cater to everyone, we need to ensure that, you know, the industry and those that are getting funded are fully representative of society. So that's why I wanted to be part of Impact Acts And that's
0: the issue that we're trying to address. I completely agree with you. I think, you know, we probably come from a very similar place in the missions of your fund and even this podcast. Uh, can you talk to us a bit about how you address that issue? What do you think are some of the either the root causes or the best ways to start to combat those? Yeah. So thinking about the
2: root cause, I think investors typically invest in what they know, what they understand, and where they be- believe they can add the most value. And I guess when investors can't relate to your products or you as an individual, it gets tougher to successfully pitch to them. And from that perspective, I think one of the issues that we have in the VC industry is that you know the, the those in decision-making positions are not fully representative of society. And because of that, they're tending to go for... Individuals that may be in networks because, you know, the, the industry is very network driven, notoriously network driven. And so beyond those networks, individuals and, and groups are not given that exposure. And so one of the things that we do at ImpactX is we tap into networks, communities and so on that other VCs don't necessarily.
1: Um, so Yvonne, what are you currently excited about? Um, sectors, companies, even geographies that you have a current special interest in?
2: Yeah, sure. So I guess, you know, given that we're in the midst of a pandemic and a recession, we saw in the aftermath of the 2007-2008 financial crisis that many new business models emerged and, you know, various companies were created and laid their foundations during the midst of that, such as Airbnb, Uber, and so on. And so I'm very much interested in seeing what comes out of this, this pandemic that we're currently in because there there is already going to be a shift in terms of remote working and so on. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. One area that I also find particularly interesting is supply chain technology, simply because one thing that COVID has done is uncover the level of supply chain risk with various corporates and even earlier stage companies. And so that's an area that I'm very, very much focused on. Um, And the future of the home, the fact that I think working from home Is becoming the norm it is now the norm we may not work from home you know Monday to Friday but I think there may be a blended approach one thing that's going to become very interesting is how we adapt to that and the the way in which needs adapt I personally believe that you know what we're going to see is home behaviors change I think we started to see that already And we don't actually have a category leader in that space. There's a company that I'm currently looking at, for example, and they're they're looking at offering home concierge services and bill management to help people manage their homes. So that's an area that I'm also really excited about at the moment.
1: And I actually had a question on um, other positions that you have, Yvonne, which is acting as a non-executive director to a few portfolio companies. Um, Are issues like diversity and you know underrepresentation within the companies that you oversee is that something that gets brought up at board level and something that you as an NED can kind of highlight
2: yeah most certainly i think that as a non-executive director it's your responsibility to bring those sort of issues to the forefront and given the fund's thesis and our mission that's that's one of the key things that we do discuss you know is your company fully representative? And if not, how we can we get it to that stage? So that's something that I'm constantly discussing um, on the boards that I represent.
1: For those who might not be as well-versed in that particular role, what is your view of the NAD's like, responsibility to the investors or the, the portfolio company?
2: Yeah, sure. So for me, a non-executive director is essentially there to hold the CEO and members of management to account. So you know, there's a difference between an advisory board and a non-executive director. An advisory board is there very much as a sounding board for the the CEO and the management team, whereas a non-executive director represents the shareholders. And so we're basically ensuring that the shareholders' interests are managed.
0: Got it. Yep. Absolutely makes sense. And how long have you been holding those kinds of um, positions, all? So during my time at Mitsui, I held a number of board observer
2: positions whereby, though I didn't have the title as a board member, I was still attending board meetings, offering advice and providing objective criticism um, to the company's decisions. Uh, however, more recently, I have you know had more exposure as board director, both on charities and, and early stage companies. And I've been very fortunate to actually sit on the board of a FTSE 250 company as well.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at because it feels like you've kind of got your fingers in a few different pies at the moment, but not just now, sort of throughout your career. And I wondered if you might talk to us a bit about whether there is a plan behind that or, you know, whether you're just super high energy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what is behind that? Why do you do so much?
2: Yeah, in terms of non-exec positions, for me, I think that they're really important. I think generally um, something I'm really passionate about is women taking up spatial leadership. And I do think that more generally boards me, need better representation because essentially that's where a lot of decisions are made. And if you think about companies and their leadership, the culture and the way in which things are done very much flows from the top and that board level. Um, so that's why I, I have taken an interest in, in board positions.
0: Mm. And do you tend to find those roles through your professional networks that you have through, through work or um, are some sort of the more kind of personal connections?
2: Um, I'd say personal connections. I, f- I feel as if um, NED positions are very much uh, for your network. Um, and so very fortunate th- to have been afforded some of these opportunities through my existing network.
0: I think that's so inspiring what you say about um, kind of women taking up space in leadership positions. And uh, I think often maybe NED positions can seem intimidating, even at smaller companies. Um, so I think it's really good to be able to showcase people who have gone out there and grasped those roles. Yeah, and then my hope is that more women take up position in, in boards. Mm. Do you have any tips if if there were any um, women who were listening and were maybe at that kind of stage of their careers? How did you get started? I think the key thing
2: with, with boards is that you have to bring some sort of specialism. So either you, know, you bring sector expertise or you bring um, particular knowledge on a particular area that's of interest to you. So at the moment, for example, a lot of boards are looking for individuals that do have that digital expertise, or it could even be marketing expertise. Um, So it's really about what you can bring to the board. And then I think that a great way to start, if that's something that you do want to pursue, is looking at charitable boards. That's a great way to, to break into
0: securing NED positions. Amazing. Thank you for the top tips.
1: I really agree with you and I equally I think the idea of like taking up more space as a woman is like such an interesting concept like in general but I think also just so important in our careers because I think I mean we're, we're sort of conditioned really to take up like as little space as possible and like that's kind of what we maybe have inherited from you know previous generations um, so I really like that idea of like you know of, of, of having like more more real estate around a table whether that's uh, through an NED position or otherwise but actually I, I remembered what um, one of my professors said when I was doing my master's is that he really encouraged us to um, to look for charitable board seats and I probably should get on that myself um, but but he he had said, you know and advised us at that time even you know try and find something even if it's just something small where you can you know give your opinion or add something special to to the discussion or and unique that no one else can um, so yeah maybe we'll we'll inspire a, a few a few ladies to, to look to look up what they can do there i certainly will now <laughs> that's great watch this space definitely
0: yeah, cool. So I just want to kind of bring bring it back around again and talk about um, ImpactX and your specific role at Fund. Um, so kind of what are your day-to-day responsibilities? What do you lead on? You know, what do you love doing? Uh, and how how do you work within the team?
2: Yeah, sure. So in terms of the actual position itself, I would say there's no real typical day as a venture capitalist beyond the money that we do provide and board meeting participation It's really about the needs of the company in terms of, you know, portfolio support. And so one day we may be helping with recruitment and helping companies find the best talent. So you'll be helping sourcing potential candidates and so on. Other days I may be spending time working through sales strategies and figuring out how to approach new clients of our portfolio companies. And on other occasions, we may be helping out with their fundraising strategy, helping them think through their narrative, helping with instructions to investors. Ultimately, it's just about trying to make sure that we're adding value where possible. Um, and that does mean getting really stuck in, rolling up our sleeves and serving the company's needs um, almost being as an extended employee, I guess, um, in any capacity that's really required at any given point in time. Um, so I'd say that's a large portion of my role. However, I am also responsible for sourcing investment opportunities as well. So I do spend a lot of time in communities, um, working with uh, other VCs, you know, other VCs sharing deals and so on, um, and then evaluating deals as well. So we have a due diligence process that we, we go through. What we do is we have a weekly meeting on Mondays. That's quite an intense meeting where we run through all the companies that we've met in the previous week. And we also run through our existing portfolio companies. Um, And we run through, you know, how the companies are doing, what support they require, what's the company's plans for the future and so on for our existing portfolio companies. And for companies that we have seen, we decide within those meetings if we plan to move forward and either progress to the next stage of due diligence and so on. And so it really does vary there's there's no real typical day to the role and that's what I love about it
0: yeah I kind of get that from um, all the roles you've had it sounds as though you kind of thrive when you can get stuck in but when things aren't too uh, monotonous yeah (laughs) well said (laughs) amazing and and so then the team in general how how big is the team um how many people do you work with
2: it's a very lean team. So we have three individuals that I work alongside, two general partners and another principal. So they're, they're the individuals that we have the Monday meetings with.
0: Cool. And um, uh, do you do much hiring? Are you looking to hire anyone at the moment? Unfortunately
2: not. We plan to operate quite lean um, for the foreseeable future.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: However, there may be, um, you know, from time to time, we do actually look at individuals to do one-off projects and so on.
0: Ah, interesting. Okay. Where could people find out about that?
2: Um, email. I mean, my email is available on the website. I'm very much accessible on LinkedIn, Twitter, so reach out.
0: Excellent. That sounds good. Okay. So in the absence of kind of opportunities at ImpactX specifically, do you have any tips for our listeners who might be looking to get into the industry where they might look for, um, where they might look for roles or perhaps tips for applications or interviews?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think the best advice I would give is to act like you're already a VC. And what I mean by that is have an idea on sectors that interest you, sectors that, you know, maybe not not interest you so much. Um, you know, some of the great individuals that I mentor, you know, they have newsletters, for example, where they share their opinion on on companies and various industries and so on. Uh, There are a number of great resources out there as well. You know, there's 20 Minute BC, which is an incredible podcast for anyone that's looking to break into the industry. We've obviously got this podcast again, which, you know, gives you great exposure and and an understanding of of how the industry operates. So I would say that, you know, the best advice that I can give is to just ask as if you're already a VC. On one particular occasion, I actually had an individual reach out to me that they were looking for a position at a VC firm. And they said, you know, you don't know me, but these are companies I came across. I think that they would be of interest to you. And I was really impressed by that. You know, this person hadn't worked at a venture capital firm before, but they'd really taken the initiative to form their own thesis and identify companies that fall within that. And they highlighted to me why they think it's interesting. And what I found really impressive was the fact that these weren't companies that you come across on an everyday basis they weren't like Revolut or Monzo. The individual had really got stuck in and did a lot of research to identify by those particular companies. And I think that, you know, if he were to go to an interview, that would put him at the forefront.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think probably a common theme when we ask this question to our guests is kind of proving your interest and passion and doing so with uh, kind of hard work. There doesn't seem to be you know, I think the general consensus is there isn't a shortcut to this. If you're really interested in it, do the work um, and it should pay off.
2: Yeah, and, and put yourself out there as well. You know, the industry is notoriously network driven. I'm naturally an introvert, but at the same time, I love building relationships with people. And so, you know, if you do want to break into the industry, start connecting with people, connect with investors, connect with founders. Relationships are absolutely key.
0: That is a perfect segue for me to ask where people can get in touch with you. You said you've got your email addresses on the Impact website. Is there anywhere else where people can follow you?
2: Yeah, so Twitter, LinkedIn,
0: very much uh, accessible, Yvonne Bajella. Amazing. Thank you very much. I think that brings us to the end of our episode. Amazing. Thank you so much. It was great to have
1: you, Yvonne. It's great chatting.
0: Thank you for having me. It's been great speaking to you too yeah thank you so much for joining us i love your story i think it's really really inspiring very excited to see what you do next thank you great well thank you very much and thank you to our listeners for tuning into associated uh, remember that you can get updates on our next guests and what the episodes are coming up on twitter we're at associated underscore pod uh, if you have any feedback for us or questions, you can email us to uh, we're associatedpodcast at gmail.com. So we will see you next week. In the meantime, please do leave us a rating wherever you're listening to the podcast and uh, subscribe. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.